Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. All right, let's uh, continue. After the fall, uh, and, and we're going to be talking about the Davidic covenant now. We, we talked a little bit about the Edenic covenant. Remember that? After the fall, uh, God met with Adam and Eve. And then, uh, you know, the promise was passed, what, what he was going to do, there was, a, there was going to be a seed that was going to crush the serpent's head eventually, right? It was just a very broad, uh, very specific, but broad kind of promise and plan. When God promised, predicts something, it's a promise. When we predict something, it's just a prediction. Do you see the difference? Because we can't fulfill anything. And so God promised or predict, predicted promised a plan to set the world aright after the fall. And one of the things, one of the chief things he was going to do was crush the serpent's head and those who followed him. That, that was the chief thing. Uh, this promise passed on down through Noah, down through Shem, his son of the three sons, all the way down to Abraham. And there, this same promise was expanded on. And uh, he talks there about the, uh, you know, he, he, gave, he gave nine different promises. And you see them over there, the promise of blessing, great name to be their God, uh, a protection, uh, that they would be a great nation. And here come the chief ones. Here come the chief ones. These are the ones you never want to forget. A great nation, land, blessing to the nations, and, um, and, um, and uh, you, you know, the, the kingship, right? There's going to be a king and that sort of thing. Now, in the Abrahamic covenant, we expanded on, as it shows there, the promise of a great nation and the promise of a unique seed. Those two chief ones, we talked about that, all right? And then in the next one, uh, uh, because the... Because the promise continued on through down to the Mosaic Covenant, which was made with an entire nation, not just with one person or a couple. It was made with an entire nation. It was Mosaic Covenant. And uh, we'll come back to that in a minute. There, we emphasized the promises of the land. We expanded on those, some, the land uh, and... Um, and uh, as well as the promise to bless the nations, all right? The covenants don't change. They're, they're, they are expansions and supplements on the, or on, the initial, on the initial covenants. So they just give us more information. It's kind of like a message series. You know, you talk about one thing, you know, we start talking about the grand story, and then we just keep adding to it. Isn't that right? That's the same thing with the covenants. And so God says, you can't, I'm, I can't I, I, it takes me time to explain it and unwrap the whole thing. And so it, it shows up over time and it expands. But he's always talking about the same thing. It's not like there's one covenant to this person, one covenant to that one, and they're not related. Not at all. It's all part of God's initial promised plan. All the same. But it is expanded on, and therefore uh, uh, we can, even as we're going to the different uh, covenants, we can expand on different elements of it. So that's what we looked at in the Mosaic Covenant. And now we've come today to the Davidic Covenant. The promise continued, it passed on, they were in the land, and there was, uh, Moses was their first leader, then Joshua, and then there were the judges, and then came, came their kings, Remember that? And uh, that's what we're going to do today. We're going to highlight the promise of kings or a king, specifically a king. God had said to Abraham, you're going to have, there's going to be many kings coming from you. But when you get to Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, the promise is passed from Abraham to Isaac to, help me, yes. From Abraham to, to, right. And when Jacob is about to die, he passes it on to his 12 sons or the children of Israel. And to Judah, 
one of his sons, he said, there, the scepter, there's going to be a scepter, which is for a king, the authority to rule, it's going to pass down through a succession of kings in Judah, uh, uh, from your tribe, until it comes to the one to whom it belongs and to whom the obedience of the nations will be. Will be. Does that make sense? You with me so far? Okay, everybody's with me so far. That's good. And so, um, uh, that's, uh, that's what we see. Now, in 1000 BC, approximately 400 years after the leadership under Moses, because they came, out of the, they came out of Egypt around 1440, 1450, whatever, and around 1000 BC comes their first king, and it's king who? Saul, correct. It's king Saul. Now, some mistakenly think that God didn't want Israel to have a king. However, as you can tell from the Abrahamic and Mosaic covenants, he did, because he told, he told Abraham specifically that kings were going to come from him. We looked at that a little bit more when we looked at the Abrahamic covenant. And under the Mosaic law, it even showed up in Deuteronomy 17, verse 14, 20. We don't have time to go there now, but you can write it down. Deuteronomy 17, he gives the conditions for kingship, meaning that they, he was expecting that they were going to have a king. God planned for them to have a king, uh, uh, kings and a king. The problem wasn't that Israel wanted a king, but that they wanted a king like the other nations. And 1 Samuel 8 makes that clear. Now appoint a king to lead us, they said to Samuel, such as all the other, what? Nations have. Right from its birth, Israel's government had been a theocracy, meaning a God rule, theocracy rule, okay, in which God ultimately ruled as their king. Deuteronomy 33 says, thus the Lord became king in Jeshurun. Jeshurun in other places is another name for Israel. You see it in the Old Testament in other places. When the heads of the people were gathered, but Israel had, so the Lord became their, what? The Lord became their king. Yet, God said that other human kings would come from them. So we got, now we got two kings we're talking, two kinds of kings we're talking about. One is divine and one is, help me, you got to preach back at me. One is divine and one would be then? Human, exactly right. Very, very good. But Israel rejected the Lord as their ultimate king. The Lord said, listen to all that the people, he said to Samuel, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they've rejected, but they have rejected what? Me as their king. God wanted Israel's human king to be in full submission to the real king of Israel, who was the Lord himself. The human king would thus be a viceroy or deputy of the true king. And in 2 Chronicles 9, it says, Blessed be the Lord your God, who has delighted in you and set you on, now what, what, what's the pronoun there? His throne, who has set you as a king, human king, on his throne, and as king for the Lord your God. In other words, in, uh, on behalf of the Lord your God. All right? And that's why God set out conditions and restrictions for Israel's kings that were different than the other human kings of the nations. All right? Okay, first main point. That was the, that was the intro. Uh, there's a promise of a divine seed king. Once the kingdom was established, and remember we saw there was nine. There was, there was nine promises, but there's four chief ones. Um, and while we're talking about a fifth one now, but you'll see why I'm saying there's four. In a moment, you'll see why I'm saying that. So I'm dithering between four and five, okay? So there's four or five chief ones, but at, by the end of the message, it'll be four chief ones that you need to always know. One is that they would be a great what? Number two, that great nation would live in the land. And they would then be a 
Exactly. A blessing to the nations. And there would be a unique seed that would make that possible, okay? Now, we're talking about a king right now, so we don't, so you don't quite understand what I'm talking about. You're not supposed to. I know you do, but you're not supposed to. Once the kingdom was established under David, he decided to build a house or a temple for the Lord. Remember that? Remember that story in 2 Samuel chapter 7? However, through the prophet Nathan, God told David not to build him a house for the Lord covenant to build a house or a dynasty for David himself. This was at the heart of the Davidic covenant, which reiterated all nine promises of the Abrahamic covenant. I don't know. I hope you can see. Yeah, you can see that color. It's there. But notice that. Look, look at that. There you have all nine promises of Genesis, the Abrahamic covenant, which we, which we already looked at, and they're all duplicated. You see all of them in the Davidic covenant. Do you see that? It's the same covenant. Well, it isn't exactly the same covenant, but it's, it, it's, it's the same promise. It's, it is the same overall covenant, overarching covenant. But there are, but there are n different nuances and expansions on these, okay? First, we're, we're going to look at a couple of things here about this seed or this person that he was going to raise up, this king that he was going to raise up for David. First, God promised that David a son to build a temple. God had just offered to build a temple or a house for the Lord. Instead, God told him that a son coming would build it instead. As we said, I will raise up your offspring, that's after he would die, to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom, the one that's going to be born of you. He is the one who will build a house for my name. God said he would discipline David's son for wrongdoing. I'll punish him with a rod of men when he does wrong, with floggings inflicted by men. We know that Solomon built a magnificent temple to the Lord, correct? David supplied the, uh, you know, gathered the supplies, and then Solomon ended up making. And... We know that Saul, King Solomon was disciplined for worshiping the gods of his many foreign wives. Correct? Correct? God said, because of that, your kingdom is going to be divided, not under you because for the sake of my, uh, uh, your father David, but it's going to happen with your son, Rehoboam. And the kingdom was divided into northern and southern uh, 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 so the ten tribes in the north and the two tribes in the south, where Judah was the key one, right? All right. Number two, God promised in that Second Samuel 7 area, that whole section there, 2 Samuel chapter 7, like 8 to, 8 to 17 or whatever, is the Davidic kind of covenant in there. And much more is said about the Davidic covenant in other portions. David talks about it in the Psalms at, at length, in various Psalms. Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Psalm 72, Psalm 89. Uh, he talks about the Davidic covenant. And then, of course, the prophets who, who came later, the writing prophets who came later, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, all those guys, who came later, they, can, they also continue to talk about the Davidic covenant. And you'll see that throughout as you read the prophets. Okay? <clears throat> now, God promised David a dynasty of kings. Your house, your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. This could only mean that a line would come from David for a Davidic kingdom can't continue forever without a dynasty of Davidic kings. Is that true? Are you with me? So first he promises them a son king who's going to build the temple. True? And that was who? King? King Solomon. Then he promises him a what? It starts with D. Exactly. Then he promises him a dynasty of kings that will keep it going. And we see that going. Uh, we see that David understood it like this in Psalm 132, verse 11 to 12. 
The Lord swore an oath to, uh, to David, a sure oath that he will not revoke. One of your own descendants I'll place on your throne. And then he goes on to say, If your sons keep my covenant and statutes I teach them, then their sons will sit on your throne forever and ever. He's talking about a dynasty of kings. So he talks about Solomon the king. Then he talks about the dynasty of kings. Exactly, a line of kings. And then thirdly, God promised, about this whole king thing, he promised David a divine seed king. Now, centuries earlier, Jacob had already prophesied that a dynasty would end up with a king ruling to whom the kingdom belonged. And that's what I was referring to before, but here we'll read it. The scepter, this is Jacob on his deathbed, speaking to his 12 sons, specifically now to Judah. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until he comes to what? To whom it belongs and... Help me. The obedience of the nations is his. Exactly right. Okay? Oh, wait a minute. There was no Davidic king that the nations obeyed. This is an unusual statement. Uh, the kings had, the Davidic kings had trouble enough keeping their own people obeying them, never mind the nations. Is that true? Israel is just a little tiny puny thing. They were always in the crosshairs of the great empires like the Syrians, the Syrians, Babylonians, and Egyptians. They were nothing. Um, and yet they were something because God had made them something, right? David knew this prophecy only too well. So when God promised him a dynasty, David correctly understood that the promise included a unique king at the end of the line to whom the kingdom belonged and who, to whom the nations would obey. Not, uh, so David was well-versed, and David was not only well-versed in this passage, but he was also well-versed in a passage that happened under the time of Moses, not only under the time of Abram, but also under the time of Moses. And it was Balaam's prophecy, uh, which said that this unique king would crush the heads of Israel's enemies. A star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. He will what? Help me. He will what? Is it on there? Oh, yeah, he will. He will what? Help me, church. He will what? Oh, very good. That's very good. He will crush the foreheads of Moab. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. So, uh, not only will this scepter come to one to whom it belongs at the end of this dynasty, to whom the obedience of the nations will come, but he will crush Israel's enemies. Very good. Thank you so much. Exactly right. This was a clear allusion to Genesis 3.15. What did it say in Genesis 3.15? You know. What, was, what did it say? Enmity. Enmity between the woman and the serpent, and between her seed and his seed. And it said, you will bruise his heel, and he will crush your head. So when it's saying that here, it's an allusion back to Genesis 3.15. He's saying, this is that. This king, uh, so this was a clear allusion to Genesis 3.15, prophecy that a unique seed would rise to crush the head of the serpent. So then, the seed who will crush the serpent is also a what? Help me. I'm letting you think. That's good. So that means that this seed must be a... Yeah, one more time. It must be a... He must be a king. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the same one. This is the Genesis 3.15, but there, you know, just talked about the seed. Now we find out, oh, he's not just a seed. He's not just any seed. He's also a... King. Exactly. 
He's the, this king is a serpent crusher. Do you see that? That David understood all this is clear from his writings in the Psalms. Here's an example of Psalm 110. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. You will rule in the midst of your enemies. So you got three distinct persons in this passage. Jesus used this to confound the religious leaders. Remember that? And Luke, he, he quoted this one. Now, the Lord, that's one person. My, David, is the second person in here. My Lord, which is Messiah. Set up my right hand until I make your enemies, okay? And uh, so this person in Psalm 110 is greater than David because David calls him what? My Lord, exactly. There's two lords. <laughs> That's how it comes out as. There's one God, but you see what I'm saying? So you got God the Father, and you got God the... Yeah, that's exactly what's going on here. Psalm 110. So then, not only is the seed a king, but this seed king is also what? That's right. He's also the Lord. He's God. He's divine. Okay? So that's what I mean when, I, when, when you're going to see from here on in. I'll, I'll talk about divine seed king. Whenever you see that, now you know why, why I'm saying divine seed king, correct? He's God. He's the seed of Genesis 3.15 and Genesis 22.18. And he's the king. The ultimate king of Genesis 49.10 and of 2 Samuel 7 and so on and so forth. Okay? Now, and he will judge. David's Lord is given a scepter to rule over his enemies. He will judge the nations and crushed the world's kings. He's a, remember, he's a serpent crusher. Aren't you glad, by the way? Amen. I am thankful there's a serpent crusher coming. Amen? Yeah. He's going to stop the nonsense that's going on in the world, once and for all. That's hopeful for me. Otherwise, it's pretty dark out there. Anyway, the Lord, continuing, verse 5 and 6, Psalm 110. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. And so we see that there are the three. And the prophets concurred with this, uh, this whole thinking. Using a tree analogy, uh, Isaiah predicted that though Israel would be cut down for her rebellion, a holy remnant like a tree stump that's what he means by a stump. It's a, it's a remnant uh, would survive of Israel. Isaiah 6, 3, uh, 13 says that. And though a tenth remains in the land, that's the remnant. Okay? It's a remnant of people. It's just a small group left. The rest are gone. It will again be laid waste. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's just a remnant, but now that whole thing is going to be gone. But as the terebinth and oak leaf stumps, when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Sure enough, 586 B.C., Davidic dynasty was cut off by the Babylonians, and Judah went into exile, and the northern kingdom was already in exile, never came back, 722. Yet 70 years later, Cyrus issued a decree. Do you remember that? You remember, right? He was the Mede that followed the Babylonians. And he issued a decree allowing a remnant to go back to, to Jerusalem to build the temple. And then under Nehemiah, they also built the walls, right? But it was a remnant. Most of the Jews never went back only a small group went back. The rest remained scattered throughout the world, which is why when the Apostle Paul is preaching, wherever he goes throughout the known world, he's always going to synagogues. Why? Because they never came back. Only a remnant came back. A small group uh, came back. And he says... 
Uh, he says, uh, Isaiah predicted that from the stump would come a shoot or a branch. You know, when you see a stump and, and, then, and then a shoot or a root comes out of it, right? Because it's still a little bit of life. That's the picture here. Out of that little remnant is going to come a shoot or branch. It'll come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots, a branch that will bear fruit. Jeremiah identified this branch as the great Davidic king to come. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king. When it looked hopeless, when it looked absolutely hopeless, the prophets, the prophets are predicting that they're going into exile. Northern kingdom's already gone, 10 of the 12 tribes. And they're predicting that the other two are going, going out. And yet, as they're predicting it, they're, at the same time they're predicting that a little remnant would return, and out of that little nothing would come a great Davidic king to whom the scepter belongs. Who will, to whom the obedience of the nations will come. It looks absolutely hopeless, doesn't it? And yet, that's exactly what God said would happen. Wow. And they said it would, he would be divine. Here, here's a verse that will go nice with the season. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, what? Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, because his reign will be characterized by peace. That's why he's called the Prince of Peace. All right, secondly, not only the promise of a divine seed king, now, you know what we mean by divine seed king. But the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant is future and eternal. A few Old Testament passages seem to suggest that the promises to Abraham were already fulfilled. Because a lot of people are mistaken. They think, well, it actually happened already. They went into the land. They did have kings. And they did have a Davidic king. So it's all, and they were somewhat of a blessing. And we talked a little bit about that in, in, the, in the previous messages. So it's all fulfilled. There's nothing left to be fulfilled. So what happens with Israel today is of no use anymore. Whoa-oh, mistake. And if you think like that, you will misalign with God's purposes for the last days. That's why this is critical, what we're talking about. Do you see it? So let's go back and check. Joshua says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land he had sworn to give their forefathers. They took possession of it, settled there. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to the house of Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Now, some assume that Abraham's promises were fulfilled because Israel possessed a portion of the land for several centuries. Yet Hebrews says plainly that the patriarchs didn't, did not receive the promises. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them, speaking of the patriarchs right before that, if you go back and check, you'll see that, received what had been... Huh. So here's an example. Hosea said that God would discipline Israel by ending her kingdom. I'll put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Further, he said they wouldn't be... Cons and Hosea was uh, prophesying roughly the same time as these other writing prophets... And he said, and the Lord said, call his name. In other words, uh, Hosea said they wouldn't be considered God's people anymore. Call his name, Israel, not my people. <laughs> they called a child that uh, as an indication that God was done with them. He was not, they weren't his people anymore. For you are not my people and I'm not your God. Remember, one of the nine promises was, I will be your God. <laughs> now he says, you are not my, my people and I am not your God. Imagine that. What a message of judgment and destruction, isn't it? Wow. Yet in the very next verse, <laughs> that's why you better read in context, right? That's why we've got to read in context. God said this, yet the Israelites will be like the... which cannot be measured or counted. Wait a minute, that sounds like a promise made to who? Exactly, Abraham. 
God took him out and said, you know, like the stars and uh, like the stars of the sky and like the sand on the seashore that you can't count. That's how, that's how many are going to be your descendants. First he says, now, you are not my people and you're done. I'm ending your kingdom. And the very next verse, yet, I'm going to keep my promise to Abraham. That's what he's saying. And the second sentence says that though they are no longer his people, they will yet be called his people. And Hosea said they would be reunited because he says, you are not my people, yet they will be called sons of the living God. Temporary. Hosea 1.11 says the children of Judah, the children of Israel shall be gathered together. And that's interesting because Israel was divided in two kingdoms, 931 B.C., and it remained divided right up to the regathering in 1948, which is nearly 3,000 years. That's a long time, isn't it? Wow! Despite her rebellion, God said he would allure, and allure her and speak tenderly to her in Hosea 3.14. And he said, I will betroth you to me forever. And so, <clears throat> has he been doing it? Well, he's been gathering them, yes. Since 1948, he's been gathering them together. Are they a great righteous nation yet? No. Are they betrothed to him yet? No. Partial fulfillment. We're seeing the beginnings of it. Enough so that we should be sitting upright and going, what is going on? This is about to happen. And so it's important. And um, the same is true of all of God's pro uh, covenant promise, uh, promises, including a Davidic king who will reign forever. Your house, Samuel said, uh, or uh, Nathan said to, to David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. For how long? For how long? Forever, exactly. God promised that even human failure, failure wouldn't nullify these promises. Psalm 89, which I referred to before, says, I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens. If they, the David's sons, violate my statutes, don't keep my commandments, I'll punish their transgressions with rod and their iniquity with stripes. But... <laughs> Thank you for answering. I almost ran out of air. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. They indeed failed and were disciplined. Ephraim vanished in 722, as we said, and, and, and uh, Judah, 72, they went into exile, 605 to 535 BC, 70 years, right? Only a small remnant returned, as we said before. Israel. Israel's possession of the land as a nation with a king was short-lived. Not very long. Most of history has been with Israel not in the land as a nation with a king. By far. And God says, but... Yet, it's going to happen. It has never happened. She's not in forever. There's been a partial fulfillment. There's been an earnest, a taste, a foretaste, a down payment, if you like, but that's it. They had only experienced measure of it. Isaiah, Hosea, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel all reiterated this as Israel was being dismantled before their very eyes. Listen to Daniel, for example. He, there is the same, the same, it's the son of man, the king. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations, peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion or kingdom is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be. That has never happened yet. And Daniel here is talking about a specific king who has a kingdom that will never pass away. He's not talking about a dynasty now. He's talking about a specific king 
whose dominion and kingdom will never end. Israel has never had such a king. Never. And we'll see in a moment why. <laughs> um, and his rule will be forever. This has never happened, but it is promised in the future. Now, why this seed king, this divine seed king, why his kingdom can be eternal? Why will this one king be able to rule forever when the kings and kingdoms of the other Davidic kings passed away? Why? Number one, because he's righteous. Jeremiah 23 says, The days are coming when I will raise up to David a what? Help me, church. A righteous branch. A king. A righteous king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Now listen, from D David and Solomon onward, not one Davidic king was righteous. David? <laughs> he would have kicked him out of membership here for what he did. You know, until he repented or something, right? Solomon, idolater. Oh my goodness. And every single Davidic king after that failed to keep the conditions of the Mosaic Covenant. And so they were under the curses of the Mosaic Covenant. Remember at the end of Deuteronomy? First he lists out all the blessings. If you obey, this is what's going to happen. If you disobey, these are all the curses that are going to come uh, on you. Guess what they experienced? Some blessing and a lot of? <laughs> exactly. Because they couldn't keep the conditions of the Mosaic Covenant. Abraham's covenant was unconditional, but the Mosaic Covenant to stay in the land was conditional. And yet God says somehow he's going to overcome that continual failure because we're all humans and we all sin. Yet God says in the Abrahamic covenant, he says, no matter, even if you blow it all, it depends on me, I will fulfill my promises. How does he do it? <laughs> By raising up a divine seed king. Because <laughs> the other ones don't work. So he raises one up like that. That's how he does it. And he is righteous. And so he fulfills all the conditions of the Mosaic Covenant, and they are therefore not cursed. And that's why his kingdom can last forever. Wow. Are you, are you thinking wow to yourself right about now? <laughs> Here's the second reason. He's divine, as we mentioned. Yet, who but God is righteous? Exactly. <laughs> That's the point, right? Uh, Jeremiah 23 says, and we already read it, but now we're going to add the last piece on there, which I, kept, I, I intentionally kept out. I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king, who will reign wisely, do what is just and right in the, in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved. Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the... Lord our, <laughs> this king, wow, is none other than God. He's a divine seed king. That's incredible. In the beginning of the message, we said that God was to be Israel's king. Do you remember we talked about that right in the intro? Remember that? Israel, I mean, God was supposed to be Israel's king. Yet, they could have a human king. Do you remember us talking about that? Okay, so you have, you have a divine king and you have a human king. And now what we find out is God is going to bring them together into one. And there's going to be one divine seed king who is both God and man. Exactly right. That's incredible, isn't it? So in the end, the scepter finally comes to the Davidic king to whom it really belongs, and the one to whom the scepter really belongs is a God king. 
is your human seed God King. And his name is King Jesus. We know that because we read a little further on in the book, right? And we found that out. Isn't that right? Yeah. Third, because he has a greater measure of the Spirit on him. The Hebrew uh, verb, masha, means to anoint, smear, or consecrate. Kings were anointed for their office and then referred to as Mashiach, which was translate, uh, transliterated as Messiah. Mashiach refers to one anointed with oil, symbolizing the very real anointing with the Holy Spirit who enabled the king to reign. Saul was literally changed by his anointing. Remember that? Saul went out and he was changed. His heart was changed, it says. Mashiach took on a more technical sense during David's time when the anointed, when anointed one, Messiah, began to be applied to this final king. That's how we come up with the word Messiah. Uh, the king, here's, here's an example. Psalm 2, verse 2 and 6. The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his... Oh, that's why. I just saw it come up. <laughs> wow. Read my mind. You mean you can't read my mind? That's what I asked my wife for 50 years. Against his what? Anointed one. An anointed one means? Messiah. Exactly right. I have installed my king on Zion, my holy one. This is how the concept of a coming Messiah developed so that the word became a shorthand title to refer to the divine king spoken of in the covenants and prophets under a constellation of terms such as seed, son of David, branch, servant, son of man, and on and on and on. Okay? So when you say Messiah, you're saying all of the above. That became the shorthand title, you know, the shorthand title for that. It is the Spirit who makes... Listen carefully to what I'm going to say now. It is the Spirit who makes Jesus Christ. Did you get that? It is Jesus who makes... It is the Spirit, I mean, who makes Jesus Christ. For Christ in Greek means the same as Messiah in Hebrew. Anointed one. Anointed with the Spirit. So, when you say Jesus Christ, or if you just say Christ, you are really saying that Jesus is the seed. He is the son of David. He is the servant. He is the Davidic king. He is mighty God. And many other things that the Old Testament said about him. Every time you say that, Christ, you are saying all of the above. Because that's what it came to be represented. And that's why we say Messiah. It's a shorthand title. Otherwise, we all go around saying, Son of Man, uh, the seed, divine, <laughs> the divine seed king, branch, Son of Man, Son of God, you know, and we just go through this whole long list. So we just say, Messiah. And we mean all of the above. He is the one anointed with the Spirit and power to fulfill all of God's promised plan. I asked, uh, just before I came up here, Fran and I were praying that the sun would go back 10 degrees. Like time. So it would have more time. Did you, did you catch that? That was in the Old Testament. All right. That, I thought it was funny. <laughs> I thought you would too. Um, he is the one anointed with the Spirit and the power to fulfill all of God's promised plan. The measure of the Spirit on him will be greater than on any other Davidic king. Precisely because he's righteous. In John 3, it says, For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. We're limited. 
and how much of his spirit we can have because of our unrighteousness. And he is unlimited. Therefore, he will be able to do exceedingly more than any other Davidic king ever did or could. He will accomplish all of the covenant promises. That's how the uh, covenant promises get fulfilled. They get fulfilled by this divine seed king whom we call with one title, what? Messiah. He's the one who does it. And he won't just rule Israel, but all the nations of the earth forever. That's why. So lastly, the Davidic seed king, or Messiah, will save Israel and bless the nations. God had promised Adam and Eve a seed that would crush the serpent. Remember that? God had promised a that was Abraham, that the seed would bless the nations. Crush the serpent, bless the nations. God promised David that the nations would be blessed through Messiah. All kings will bow down to him. All nations will serve him. All nations will be blessed through him. How will it happen? First, the seed king will deliver Israel. Zechariah 14 says, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. The city shall be taken and the houses plundered, women raped. Half the city shall go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. This has not yet happened. This hasn't happened. Zechariah 14 has not happened. This is still future. So you think about where Israel is today. This is still coming. Then the Lord Jesus will come and fight on her behalf, bring her back to the land of the most incredible deliverance the world has ever seen. The Lord will go and fight uh, against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. The deliverance will be so great that all will forget about the deliverance of Egypt. Uh, we read Jeremiah 16 some weeks back. Now I'm going to read Jeremiah 23 on this. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt. But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the other, all the other countries where he had banished them, and they will dwell in their own land. That's coming. A greater exodus, a greater return than the exodus out of Egypt. Second, all Israel will come to know the Lord. Jeremiah 31. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. If you go to Israel today, it's a very secular society. Oh, yes, there's uh, Jew Jewish people are coming to Jesus all around the world. No question about it. But as a nation... She is a secular nation. She still does not know the Lord. They will all know the Lord. <laughs> and the nations will come to know Jesus as Lord too. The nations will know that I'm the Lord, Ezekiel said, when I show myself holy through, through you before their eyes. In other words, when he delivers Israel in this impossible exodus, in the same way as the nations came to know when the Israelites came out of Egypt. Remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago. Now they're going to get to know him again. And then Jesus will set up his kingdom on earth, rule as the eternal Davidic king from Jerusalem. Third, the seed king, or Messiah, very good, will punish and rid the world of wicked rulers. He will bless the nations by crushing evil tyrants and restoring order to the earthly realms and ushering in an age of peace. Psalm 110 says, He will crush kings in the day of his wrath and judge the nations. Fourth, the seed king will, or Messiah, will fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. Can you imagine that? Wow. Speaking of the reign of the branch king, Isaiah said, and branch king simply is Messiah, the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the... <laughs> it's going to be popular to be a Christian. In fact, you won't want to admit that you're not. 
in the new age coming. <laughs> and, uh, and then Isaiah 2. In the last days, many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God of Jacob. He, the king, who is Messiah, will teach us his ways out of Jerusalem so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And fifth, the seed king will reign righteously and justly. He will reign, Isaiah 9, 7 says, on David's throne and over the kingdom, establishing, upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on, forever. No bad news from then on. It's all good news. All the current news outlets will go out of business. Hallelujah. And their reporters with them. They wouldn't know. They can't serve as reporters in that kingdom because they don't know how to report good news. True? Can you tell I'm sick of this world? He, the king, will judge between the nations, will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares, their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. There will be peace on the earth forevermore, and they'll do it without the UN. Or should I say, be in spite of the UN. This never happened in the history of Israel's 39 kings, not even during the golden era of Israel's two greatest kings, David and Solomon. So, to conclude, all this means that while Israel experienced partial fulfillments of the covenants, those fulfillments are nothing more than earnest or down payments guaranteeing complete and final fulfillment in the future. A great nation has never happened yet. They will be, this great righteous nation will be in the land forever, never to be taken out again. She will dwell securely, the Old Testament says. She will be a blessing to the nations because the law of the Lord is going to go from Jerusalem. They will be a true kingdom of priests like she was intended to be under the Mosaic Covenant. And all of this will be accomplished by the seed king whose name is Messiah. Oh, I love that word, don't you? Messiah. Can you say that word with me? Messiah. Do you long for him? Do you long for his return? I do. This is important because we need to align with God's purposes. And then as Stephen was referring to, that's what we should be fasting and praying for. The fulfillment of his purposes on earth the way he promised. Amen and amen. <laughs>